What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. Our team look-ahead train plows on, though. We're up to the Memphis Grizzlies. Sharon Brown was nice enough to come back on the podcast after doing this exercise with me last year. She's the Grizzlies beat writer for the Memphis Flyer. She's been published at Dime Up Rocks, Basketball News, The Athletic. She also has the Shy Show podcast. Follow that show on Twitter at the Shy Show 4, spelled exactly as it sounds. And follow her on Twitter, Sharon Shy Brown, at Sharon Shy Brown, S H A R O N, Shy Brown, spelled exactly as it sounds. We have a great talk about the Grizzlies. Before we dive into that, let me just remind you to please, please, please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knocks wherever you get your podcasts. Subscriptions help us a ton in the charts. Also, it helps us if you head over to iTunes, whether or not you use it, search Hardwood Knocks, throw us that five star rating. Write a review. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell us. If you didn't enjoy us, tell us. We'll take that into consideration, but throw us the five-star review anyway to help us in the charts there. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Go ahead and follow our YouTube channel, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. We'd just like to reiterate, since we are probably getting a few first-time listeners each episode, stragglers, people here at random who just really want to hear about the Memphis Grizzlies, whatever, if this is your first time around these parts, we cover the NBA at large. We do a pleasantly sub-mediocre job of doing so. Consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We are happy to have you as part of this wonderful community. I've gotten so many direct messages about people who have enjoyed the series, about questions and follow-ups to the series. I genuinely do appreciate that. Glad you guys are listening. I know our regular listeners who come to this podcast, really, I'm sure, for just NBA at large talk. You guys have shown up. It's it's in the downloads relative to these single-team look-aheads, and even multi-pods per day. This is the second time we're publishing a second podcast on the same day. So I appreciate every single person who listens to this podcast regularly, downloads every episode, and I, of course, endlessly appreciate anyone who just listens in general, whether it's your first time or not. That's enough warm and fuzzies out of me, though. Let's go talk Memphis Grizzlies with Sharon Brown. Sharon, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk some Memphis Grizzlies with me in advance of the start of this season. First and foremost, though, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I have zero complaints over here. Uh, lots to take in in the basketball world. I was telling you before we started, I'm, I'm ready for, well, I wish the offseason might have been a little bit longer. I, I'm ready for preseason to end. I don't know about you. Right. Um, I think the season started back too early. I'm, you know, I was used to the December start time because, like, we just got over it in July. So I thought, Maybe they probably should start in like November, December instead of October. But I know they're trying to get get things back to normal right now. Yeah, let's um, cross our fingers that there isn't an influx of injuries because they pushed it up yet another month after what was like, you know, the past two seasons have just been obviously truncated as well. Um, I think the best place to start is the Grizzlies had a fairly busy offseason. And I was just wondering what your general thoughts were about everything they did, the direction that they kind of tipped their hand that they're headed um, as we begin the the regular season? Well, I, okay. So I don't think they're, they are in a win now mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just like, they're doing moves that going to like, say for instance, they, I think they're still building, but then they're still, they're sort of not. And I think it's just like a lot of things with salary dumps, but um, cause like some of the trades in the off season, I didn't understand. So it's just like, you know, I trust the front office know what they're doing because, you know, I don't get paid the big bucks to, you know, do those things. <laughs> right. You know, that's my pay grade. 
So I just think that they're trying to, it was salary dumps and um, things of that nature. And it's just like, I knew they weren't going to go out and try to get a, you know, a all-star free agent or things of that nature since they were a small market team. But I think it's something they were trying to build upon the future. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I think the main thing is to try to get um, Jaron Jackson Jr. that contract extension. Yeah, and you know, I respect what they did over the offseason because I think after making, you know, maybe called them two surprise playoff bids, some teams might have talked themselves into we do have to act with more of an urgency. But looking at the Valanciunas trade specifically, and then just in in the larger context of they have, you know, people romanticize future draft picks, but they just have mm-hmm. a nice stash of future draft picks now where if they ever want to make a win now trade or if they want to take more bites at the actual draft apple. I think the fact that they went that route, yes, we need to see mm-hmm. what comes to bear, but it could have been tempting to not do that. And so I actually really respect that they took the, the longer-term view, knowing that John Moran, even Jaron Jackson Jr., who, yes, he's extension eligible, but they're both still super young. Now is the time to try and take those bigger swings to flesh out you know, a, a more something better than an average or above-average core around them. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like the, the Grizzlies, they have a type that they are after, you know, just like they want a good IQ guy. And then they they want someone to come in there to mesh with the people in the locker room. They don't want anybody to disrupt what they are having, having in their locker room right now. Because, you know, it's just like you just don't go out and get a player. You know, he may be good at basketball, but he may be a locker room cancer. And it's just like they just don't want that right now. They want the person to come in and mesh with the guys. You had mentioned – Jaron Jackson Jr. already, and I think people were overly concerned about how he played when he came back after basically missing most of the year last year. Have you seen anything from him in preseason that, like, his shooting is always going to be fine? They've tried to use him on the ball a little bit more during preseason. How have you felt about how he's performed in that way? And just this season, what are you looking from his game um, for him to really improve upon, uh, given that he is probably long-term Memphis's second most important player right now behind Ja? Okay, so with Jaron, um, I I wish he would cut down on the fouls because he's so important. He needs to be, you know, in the lineup. He needs to be healthy in order for them to win and go to the next level. And he has improved on his rebounding. Um, it's better than what it what it had been. And he just have to stay healthy. And then it's just like I I know he shoot the threes, but I would want him to use his skills and you know drive to the basket more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he also said that Stephen Adams um, being there it has helped him um, with the re- rebounding. He said he's watched him, and then he's taken some pointers from him and on the rebounding. So I think the rebounding is the biggest issue, you know, for him that he, you know, because I think like during the preseason I think he had like um, he's averaging eight, seven or eight a game, you know, right now, and that's a big difference from you know his career only like four. But hopefully um, that picks up and it uh, lasts all season long. And then, you know, like with the foul trouble, um, he needs to, you know, defend without fouling. Is there, um, they've, you know, they have thrown the ball to him in the post during the preseason. They've even run some just like dribble handoff stuff with him. Is that like something you would like to see them do? Because you mentioned how you don't want to see him just be a shooter. And so I don't know that that stuff is always going to look so pretty because it's fairly, I don't want to say new, but it's nothing that they've done 
in high volume with him in the past. Are you in support of them like really trying to test out the depth of what else he can do on offense this year? Right, right. Because it's just like, um, you know, you know, he 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 needs to be a post player, you know, sometimes, not all the time, but you know, it's just like but the coach wants them to shoot threes, but I think he needs to use Jaron in the post more. And I, the thing that I didn't really even think about Justin now is they could use someone to punish mismatch, mismatches down there now that they no longer have uh, Jonas Valanciunas. The, right. the other question I had for him is, do you think that they're going to play him more at center this year? We, you mentioned this to me beforehand, and I don't think it was the expectation that anyone thinks he'll start games at the five, but do you think they'll give him more run at, at center over the course of the year? Um, I think so. He'd probably be a center, you know, like um, – with the bench unit, maybe mm-hmm. they put him at the five. But I think long as uh, Adams is there, I don't. I think he, Adams would start, and then you know Jeremy would be the four. But I think he probably would be a center, um, you know, like when the bench unit is in and Adams is um on when Adams is on the bench, and then they probably use him, you know, like um say for instance with Tillman or either um Brendan Clark together. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that works out. So what happened with Brandon Clark last year? Like, do you still think he's going to be a fairly – like, he he basically fell out of the rotation by the end of last season. Do you think – is he still, like, a prominent part of what this team is trying to do? Or are we, do we think that – or do you think that Xavier Tillman is is kind of more of an important player to them moving forward now? Brandon was hurt. Brandon was dealing with some injury issues that wasn't reported because, like, during the preseason games, it seemed like he's, you know, been himself. Because, like, last season, it seemed like he was lost out there. But um, I think he was dealing with an injury. But um, I think it's just, like, they have room for both Tillman and, you know, Clark. Mm-hmm. I think um, they have room for both of them. But I know some people were saying that, you know, Brandon probably would be traded. But I don't think that's the case. Because, you know, since, you know, he had an injury, he's healed now. You know, I think it think that he just, you know, um, He's back to his normal self. But I think it's just a wait and see, you know, with him. There's, I would argue, there's definitely room for both of those guys if Clark is playing well when you look at um, Xavier Tillman and, and Brandon Clark. I guess it just, it might become a little bit harder if you want to play, um, you know, Kyle Anderson any minutes at the four, if you want to use Jaron Jackson Jr. more at the five, because then you're taking certain minutes away at, at those positions. But I don't look at this team and think, oh, they have too many fours and fives on this roster so you can't have both Clark and Tillman in your rotation but but like with Kyle he's interchangeable he can be a four or he can be a three right um and I I mean that's the luxury of him you one of the players on the Grizzlies that I'm most watching closely this year though is um Desmond Bain he I don't want to read too much into summer league but he was just absolutely fantastic I didn't know he had like the ability to run pick and rolls like he was there do you one think that he'll have a bigger role in year two and just the second part of that is do you actually expect them to put the ball in his hands a little bit more on the offensive end yes because in the preseason I think that was one of the reasons why they got rid of Grayson Allen to have more of a role for um Desmond Bain and um DeAnthony Melson because I feel like it was a log jam as you know in in that place, they had too many guys doing really basically the same thing. And then like with Grayson, you know, it was like the lack of defense or whatever, but he's a good shooter. Mm-hmm. But I think Bain is just like, he went up a notch because like 
preseason has, you know, came over to, I mean, not preseason, summer league has went over to preseason where he's doing the same thing. You know, it's just like, he's not scared. It, it doesn't seem like, it just seemed like it's translating and hopefully it translates to the regular season. Uh, John Morant, all things John Morant are always interesting. I was, I think one of the things I was most impressed with him last year was a heightened willingness to take threes. And he really started hitting them uh, at a higher clip towards the end of the season. And I think, look, that doesn't have to be everything. I know we, a lot of people, including myself can maybe over sensationalize outside shooting, but it does change the way that the defenses have to guard him and respect him. Do you think um, based off what you saw last season, just the feel heading into this season, do you think we'll see like another jump in in his long range shooting this year? Right, because it's just like it seemed like he's been working on his mid-range, like during preseason. He's been taking, you know, um, more pull-up jump. You know, he's not just going to the rim. It's just like it's just like he's in preseason. He's been getting anything that he wants. You know, like how he performed um, in the playoffs against uh, Utah. Uh-huh. It's been translating over to the preseason where he's getting anything he wants. And he's developed a, a, a mid-range. Yeah. That, mid-range I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. My apologies. Yeah, he's developed a mid-range jumper. And then it's just like he's been highly efficient with that. And that's like the – there. Are, you would definitely like to see him be better on defense. But if he starts hitting off the dribble jumpers, whether it's those in-between looks like you're talking about, um, punishing defenders for going under on screens from beyond the arc against him, that's like – you know, people call it a swing skill, but that if he does that this season consistently, like that's what kind of separates him from like fringe all-star territory to actual all NBA territory, where if he's doing that, he's probably in that conversation as one of like the five to, you know, 10, 11 best guards, 12 best guards in the league, which is knowing how many talented guards there are just the backcourts in general. That's a pretty big thing to say. And so I, I feel like because of how some other players might be, you know, more polarizing. You look at like the Zion Williams or Luka Doncic's, like those young guys, we've almost forgotten like how high John Morant's ceiling is within the the context of the other, you know, young cornerstones in the NBA. Right. And then it's just like, it just like seemed like, you know, what he's doing seemed like it's just been contagious, you know, with the whole team, because it's like when, them play, when they're playing in preseason, you know, like them games really don't matter. But it seems like when they go out there, it matters to me. Seems like it's mattering. It's just like it's it's just been on a whole nother level, you know, watching them doing preseason. And like I said, I hope it translates to the regular season. Because if it does, ooh, the West is gonna be <laughs> it's already tough. It's gonna be really tough. Especially if you have like, cause last night that preseason game, I think Morant averaged like 27 points. And then um, Jaron Jackson Jr. averaged like had 20, mm-hmm. 20 points. So if they keep doing that, those two, wow, the West is going to, it's going to be hard, 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 hard. Yeah. But I, mean, I think, you know, they are one of the teams that people, you really can't count them out. You know, like people have counted them out like the last two seasons, mm-hmm. still don't count them out again because they feed off that. Yeah, uh, I'll count myself among the people who wrote them off the past two seasons. So um, I, I think out of fear, I probably just won't do that again. And the the other thing about John Morant, too, if he's hitting those shots, is how much more unpredictable he becomes with the ball in his hands. And all of a sudden, 
know, he shot 61% at the rim last year, which is slightly above average. That number probably goes up a ton just because of what defenses are worrying about with regards to him in other parts of the floor. And so just by even taking those looks, you you mentioned those mid-range jumpers. I think it probably just opens up a lot of his game and then just opportunities for those around him because John Morant, I think people also, this gets lost in translation with a lot of what he does. He's just a spectacular playmaker and guy who can find others even after he's leaving his feet. Right. <laughs> right. He just need, he just need like his teammates to shoot the ball, <laughs> you know, get the buckets. Because it's like one preseason game I was watching and he did like, like a really uh, good behind the back pass. And he was in the air. I was like, wow. Then he dished it out to his teammate, you know, for a three. Then the teammate missed the three. I was like, man, when John Moran, you know, give you a pass like that, make the bucket, make the bucket. Yeah, I don't know how you. It's a waste. It's a waste. Without it's a, it's a waste. You not making a bucket when he give you that great pass. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to look him in the eye after the game if I missed a shot off of a pass like that. Um, right. Before we started, I we were talking about their starting five, and I just assumed once um, Dylan Brooks comes back from that broken hand, uh, that the starters would be Adams, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, and John Morant. Uh, you basically laughed me off the podcast when I said that. I'm just kidding. But what do you what do you envision for this starting lineup um, moving forward this season? Or I think you mentioned something before we start about maybe it will be more matchup based. Do you have any starting five locks outside of John Morant for them? I'm very curious to see how that shakes out in your mind. Well, I mean the 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 the, the starting five locks I have is is only three: Stephen Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., and John Morant. But the other two, you know, like, well, Dylan Brooks, of course, when he comes back. But, you know, it's just like, I don't know if he's going to be worked into the rotation or not. But I'm thinking it's going to be interchangeable between Desmond Bain, maybe DeAnthony Melton, and maybe Cal Anderson. But um, during the preseason, Cal Anderson has been coming off the bench. And I don't know that if that, like I said, I don't know if it's going to translate you know, beginning of the regular season or not, but he's been coming off the bench because like um, since Dylan is out, Jenkins has been starting um, Melton and uh, Bain. And then I think last night he started Bain and Conchar. I'm I'm not sure because I didn't, you know, watch the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. But, um, and last year, you know, he tweaked the lineup sometimes or whatever, but I think, you know, basically some are going to be based on matchup. But I think the given is um, Brooks when he gets back, JJJ, Adams, and Morant. And then the, the, the other one is um, it's going to be basically due to matchup. And if uh, Bain is doing really good, he probably, you know, win the starting lineup out. If you can defend any better to where it's not like this, it'll be a drop-off just looking at how versatile Anderson is. And I, we know what Melton can do defensively, obviously. But if he right. can defend fairly well, like that feels – if you're trying to go with like your – like the building the best absolute unit that could be perfectly fitting, mm-hmm. all, Bain's, all Bain can do on offense feels like that might make it a no-brainer. Right. And then it's just like – you know, it's just like I know people to put, you know, too much into starting – Right. I mean, but to me, the most important thing is who's on the floor when you're trying to win the game at the end. It's not who start for me, it's who finishes the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, say, for instance, you need shooting. Of course, you know, you would go with Desmond Bain. 
Um, if you need defense, you go with, you know, Anderson or, um, well, God, I can, Melton. Right. I'm getting the names mixed up. Yeah, I mean, a but lot of the times like, – oh, yeah, But who ahead. are the starting five, you know, the game on the line? Who are the starting five you would have out there to win the game for you? Yeah, I mean, some of those decisions are sometimes even based off like, well, how do we maximize the second unit? Like, if you just don't think you have right. enough shooting off the bench, then it makes more sense to bring Desmond Bain off the bench. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, but I think Jenkins' mind is probably a matchup-based thing. Yeah, he does seem to come from that school of coach, so that that is a, a great point. I am wondering um, if you have any early impressions of – Zaire Williams, who swayed me with a, with a couple moments in summer league, but I'm just curious to see when you look at how many options this team has on the perimeter and knowing that he is considered more of this long-term project project, you expect him to get regular minutes with this team as a rookie. Um, I think he's going to get minutes, but it might not be many. And, you know, he's a, he's a good defender. Um, he could defend, but um, I think it's still just a learning process for him. He's not going to get as many minutes probably as um like Tillman and um Bain got last year. I, I don't think so. It it all depends on how you perform, I guess. I, I'm not sure, but it's just like that's like a long term project thing with him. He, I, I know the shooting percentages don't always align with it, and that included you know dating back to um him in college, but it just feels like there's going to eventually be a really good offensive player there, at least on the ball. And again, maybe I'm just reading too much into looking at how he looked. It wasn't even always his performances in summer league, but I'm far more intrigued by him than I was when they actually selected him at number 10 in the draft. Right. But cause I don't think like his college career, um, I don't think that's credit. That's, you know, really who he was, you know, with that. Um, cause like there were so many uh, variables going against him, you know, doing his, that college season, you know, we just probably can just wipe that away and just like, give him a fresh start when, once, you know, he's a rookie in the NBA now. And I think that, you know, maybe they're going to give him some time um, to go play with the hustle. I'm not sure, but it's just like a learning process, you know, for him. And I think he's going to uh, be fine. I think he need to put on a little, you know, a little more weight, you know, because he's tall and lanky. Um, but, you know, I think he's going to be fine. Wish I had that same problem. Let me tell you. Um, will Jared Culver play for this team? I I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. And and you know and and just like I'm being honest because it's just like I haven't seen um, anything really out of him to you know boost you know any playing time for him for him. Mm-hmm. You know I'm I I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel I feel like maybe if they thought they could steal some minutes where he's at the four, he might have a clear path to court time. But that trade, even knowing that Culver is a former number six or not former, there was a number six pick three years ago. It feels like that trade was just like more about breaking up um, a bigger contract into like smaller contracts. And then it's just like Memphis, you know, just like it's the place, you know, where what they call the reclamation reclamation projects with certain players, you know, it's just like they're deemed to be bad players, this, that, and the other. And then they come to Memphis and then like um they get a new leaf on life, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, maybe. I just I know he's played in only two preseason games, and the, the kind mm-hmm. of the fact that John Contra feels like he's been featured a little bit more, I just don't know how well that bolds for Jared Culver's place in their rotation. So I'm very curious to see if they wind up trying to do anything with him. I'm 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 not sure at all. I have no <laughs> I don't know. What Memphis ended up having, um, in part, they were really strong to close the season. They ended up having like a, a league average offense last year. What do you think needs to happen for this team specifically as a collective for them to to make a, a bigger jump on that end of the floor to be closer to let's say top ten on the offensive side? Make uh, make their shots. You know, just like um, make their three point shots. You know, that's what they have to do because, you know, you know, uh, Bain, you know, he should be better on um, Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, he's a good three point shooter. Um, Dylan Brooks, you know, when he comes back, you know, it's just like that's the coach philosophy is to let it fly. You know, they need to get better on that three point shooting. And I think that will help the offense, especially, you know, when you have a guy like Morant. You know, mm-hmm. where he can, you know, uh, have the defenders come at him and he kick the ball out, you know, make the shot when he, you know, give it to you. That will help your offense a lot because, you know, he's going to draw defenders. Do you think that they've surrounded him with enough shooting yet? Because a lot of that feels sort of contingent upon Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton, you know, matching those career best clips they shot from three last year. Yeah, but I, I think that they're, you know, I think it's it's okay, you know. Um, they just have to get better at it. The other thing with this team, they're seventh in defensive efficiency last year, and they were, you know, kind of hell to go up against. Um, and they were they they could force turnovers. They were they were their defense was excuse me they were thirteenth, not seventh. I don't know why I said seventh, but they they did like a lot of stuff and were aggressive. Do you see them being able to improve with this personnel? Um, on offense this year, did they get better on defense over the offseason, or do you think maybe it's more of a, a a lateral thing for them defensively? Um, as long as they could defend the three a little bit better, I think they'll be okay. But I think the defense probably probably be a little better, maybe because you know, like John Moran, I think he's getting a little better on defense. Um, you know, he's been blocking shots in, you know, um, preseason. Um, he's been getting, you know, his steals. Um, his man hadn't been beating him that much. So I think they're they're a little bit better because, you know, you know, they work, you know, on things, you know, over the summer, you know, to try to get better. But I I have no idea, but I just think that they should be better, you know, guarding the three. And they do. I mean, when you look at their individual talent, they could build some really good defensive lineups. And if you get, you know, you mentioned some improvement from John Morant, if the team as a whole, and then also Jaron Jackson Jr. is able to, you know, defend with their feet instead of their hands and and not foul as much. There's, you know, there's, I feel like there's a lot of low hanging fruit for them to improve upon. And just based off some of the individual personnel they have, when you look at Melton, when you look at Dylan Brooks, um, when you look at Kyle Anderson, that this could be like one of those sneaky teams that, you know, might be able to crack the the top 10 in points allowed per possession. And then I think also that that new rule, you know, about the offensive player leaning to the defender is going to help uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks tremendously. Oh, that's a great because, point. You know, though, that was some of those fouls that, that were called on them. 
whether it's you whether it's like a specific position here or just the skill set and idea of a player, what is Memphis's big biggest weakness right now heading into the season? Um, injuries. <laughs> we need everybody to be healthy, especially Jaron Jackson Jr. Because it's just like the team is not really going to go far unless he's healthy. You know him to him and John Moran to to be the one two punch. Do you think that Jaron Jackson Jr.'s sort of injury history at this point is going to prevent them from signing him to an extension, or do you expect a deal to get done but before the season rather than in restricted free agency next year? Um, you know what? I'm not sure on that, but I don't. I don't. It may happen. You know, while the season is playing out, depends on how they start. But you know, they have time to get it done. I don't think they're in a rush. Yeah, I mean, it helps that he'll be a restricted free agent, so they would have um, all the matching power. Uh, I'd be if there is an extension, I'll just be curious to see the number on it because he is a very—he's clearly a very talented player, a very important player. It's just—it mm-hmm. feels like his career has had a lot of stop and starts, which makes him difficult to judge. Yeah, and then it's just like his first year. This is me talking. I don't really believe that he was. I, I think he could have came back early from his injury. But, you know, since they weren't playing for anything, they set him down. And then, like, you know, doing the bubble before he was hurt, I mean, he was playing out of his mind. Then, you know, he got hurt in the bubble. And then, you know, because it's just like people like he's injury prone, but he's really not. I mean, like I said, the first year he healed and then they just kept him out because they really had they didn't have anything to play for. You know, for the they just they play for the lottery pick, you know, but you know, other than that, they didn't have anything to play for. Yeah, he's had one you could call a major injury, and so that's probably right. not enough to call him injury prone, even if it is you know just concerning. Um, this is subject to change as the season moves forward, clearly. But as of now, who who do you think is the player that's most likely to get traded before the deadline this year? <sighs> With the Grizzlies, yes. Before the deadline? At the deadline, whatever. I mean, you know. That's that's hard to tell. Because it's another player that got it, but I can't think of his name. (laughs) Um, Is it um, Kendrick Nunn, is it? Chris Dunn, is that who you're thinking of? Yeah, Chris Dunn. Yeah, because I don't think, have we seen him in preseason? Um, I have not seen him in preseason. You would have definitely have watched more Grizzlies preseason than I would have. But no, he has not played in the, the oh no, he has played one game in the preseason. One game. Hmm. 17 minutes and he scored zero points. Incredibly impressive. <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious if Kyle Anderson gets trade buzz because he's in a contract year and I think he's a player a lot of teams would want. And if Memphis does fall out of that postseason or play-in discussion. Um, before the middle of February, uh, rather than thinking about, oh, are we going to pay him in free agency if we can get more assets for him? It feels like he is going to be one of those players who's who's in pretty high demand. He might be in high demand, but I really don't think that he'll be one of the ones that they trade, but I don't know. <laughs> I also think just... A lot, of stuff, a lot of stuff I don't know because it's just like... um. You know, Memphis is not a win-now team, so. Yeah, they're they're tough to peg. Do you view, and you, you might have had one of the all-time quotes 
uh, of this podcast last season when you called Dylan Brooks on offense, Dollar Tree Kobe. He gets that mindset. Do you view him as yeah. like a, a core piece for this team though, long term? Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Because, you know, it's just like look how he played in playoffs. Yeah, he is he has like all he's defense a, potential he, when yeah, you look at some a, of the assignments he's tackled. And then it's just like like I said, the new um rule, you know, for, for with the fouls, I mean, that's just that's up his alley. Cause you know, a lot of those fouls, you know, the offensive player, you know, was coming into him and he loves that. And then, you know, he's ready to get back on the floor. We could probably also do this with a lot of players, but if you just envision him like making better decisions on offense or just being more consistent there, you're talking about a player who becomes exponentially better or more valuable where it feels like on offense, sometimes he tries to play like, um, right. Like a right. China think, shop. Yeah. Yeah. He does, but um, I think he got, you know, a little bit better instead of, you know, he's trying to win the game himself, but, you know, he trusts his teammate more, and then his assist numbers went up a little bit. You already alluded to this when we were talking about the starting five. Who do you think in close games down the stretch should be their their go-to crunch time lineup? And this is, all, this is matchup dependent as well, but if you had to pick a most used crunch time lineup for them, what would it be? Okay, so I think it would be Ja, Jaron, Kyle, um, Dylan, and uh, Desmond Bain. I like that. I like that one a lot. I'm just because I'm such a big fan of um, of Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five is that's a structure that I'm always going to love. Yep, that's 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 the lineup. Do you think Melton could probably work his way into that conversation for some games? Absolutely, because he he's a workforce. He he, I mean, he works hard. You know, if, um, he you know he was better with his shooting um, last season. You know, if he you know get better this season, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to play a lot easier to play him next to Ja if he's if he's hitting his threes, especially if the clip he hit them last year. He was at over forty percent, right? So mm-hmm. like that was a you know just an astronomical leap for him. Is when you look at this roster, is there like a unconventional quirky or weirdo lineup that you would like to see them roll out at some point this season a quirky lineup maybe one that um you know taylor jenkins isn't going to play but you would like to see him play okay um i would like to see um ja jaron um dylan Brandon Clark and Desmond Bain. I dig it. That's a pretty cool one. Um, the I'd be curious to see what Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. accomplished defensively together. We just haven't seen a lot of that in action because of injuries to both of them at this point. But one game, um, I forget the first season that they played together. I don't remember what game it was, but when Jenkins had um Jaron and Clark in, I mean, they that uh, um they were so good on defense that game. And then it's just like I love that lineup, you know, with those two. But hopefully he can um they can do that again this season, you know, some games. Because uh, I, I think I really think the injury that Clark had last season really, uh, really hindered his sophomore season. 
and I think he has something to prove. I th- yeah, if there was something that was hindering him, I think you could see it in sort of the way he was playing on offense specifically. It just didn't look like something was right on that side of the floor. Right. As we record this, their win total over-under is set at 41.5. Are you taking the the over or the under on that? Um, It's going to be over there. Where do you have- Um, Let's see. I think they probably win like forty games. Forty eight. Yeah, I think I I still think that they're gonna be at the bottom um of the West. Uh, so where so you think they're gonna be what like six, seven, eight in the West? Is that what you're saying? Something like that. And then and then all of this is due to um predicated on if they stay healthy. Yeah, I think the other thing that's a risk is just that because we've seen them do it over the off season where they made the bigger picture moves. If they decide, if they do become, you know, sellers around the trade deadline or something to that effect, where they just decide that they're going to prioritize the bigger picture even further and not, you know, this is not a tanking team. They're too good to be a tanking team, but they just might decide that making the playoffs is not a top priority for them right now. Right. Is there anything about this team or anyone on this team? I didn't ask you about that. You think needs to be discussed. No, not really. I think we discussed everything. But I think that uh, Desmond Bain, you know, he's going to have um, a breakout season as well, just like Jaron Jackson Jr. Those are the two players, you know, um, to watch. You know, you know, besides John Morant, but I think uh, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. are going to be two um, players to watch. And I think Steven Adams is going to be really good for the team as well because um, he's already teaching, you know, players something because – He's been working with Brandon Clark and then um, Jaron Jackson Jr. complimented him last night. He's been watching him. He's been helping him, you know, be a better rebounder. So I think um, Adam is going to be good for the team, too, because, you know, I've heard him in um, post-game comments. You know, it's just like he said he's been watching the team, you know, from afar. But Mm -hmm. he just he just wanted to come in and work and do whatever um, he can to help him win. And do you expect him to get like real minutes where we know he'll start, but he could be sort of a quick substitution. Do you think he like gets to 25 minutes a game? Is it going to be fewer than that? Yeah, I think he gets 25 minutes per game. I think so. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense too, because you know, if you're just replacing Valanciunas, he averaged over 28. So even if you spread some of those minutes out amongst others, they're still playing time for Adams for sure. I mean, he's a really good defender. He's a better defender than, um, Valanciunas was and then on a lot of the Valanciunas uh shots he was um you know when his buckets came from um Josh misses and you know everybody else on offense misses you know he had a lot of putbacks and things of that nature uh Sharon thank you so much for hopping on and talk Grizzlies with me are you able to just tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter and find all the great work that you do um, you can uh, find me at Sharon Shy Brown, and then I'm a Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the Memphis Flyer. Awesome. And that's just to echo at Sharon Shy Brown. It's spelled exactly as it sounds. She's, she's a great follow on Twitter. Great. Does a great job covering the Grizzlies. Um, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, you did this last year. You're nice enough to come on again this year, and uh, I very much appreciate it. I, I appreciate you for having me. Thank you.